You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Episode 44, Hlotherer and Eodrich. After the death of Edgefrith in 673, the throne of Kent passed to his younger brother, Hlotherer. There is some debate as to whether Hlotherer succeeded Edgbert immediately or after an interregnum. The case for an interregnum of about a year comes from a charter issued by Hlotherer in 675, which identifies that as the first year of his reign. The older date, 673, is based on Bede's history, which, while on the whole very useful, is often somewhat off in its dates. So many scholars now agree that Hlotherer succeeded following a brief period of uncertainty in Kent. What exactly happened in this period is unknown, since, possibly to project an image of solid authority, many texts follow Bede in suggesting an immediate succession. Quite probably, 674 saw some wheeling and dealing to figure out if Edgbert's son Eodrich, who probably was still only a child at the time, had enough support to become king. In the end, it was decided he did not. While this may suggest some instability in Kent in the 670s, when seen as part of the kingdom's larger political history, it's clear that the line of Eorkenbert had now fully established its grip on the Kentish throne. However, the uncertainty that greeted Hlotherer's reign was an ominous foretaste of troubles to come. These troubles were partly the result of shifting relations in the international politics of England in the 670s. The marriage of Kentish nobles at this time suggests that Kent was trying to build alliances with other kingdoms, in particular with Mercia and the East Anglians, both of whom sought to establish marriage ties with the Kentish royal family. Hlotherer's sister Eormenhild married Wolfhera, king of the Mercians, and thus making the Mercian king the uncle to Eorkenbert's children. However, Wolfhera died in 675, so shortly after Hlotherer became king, at which point Wolfhera's brother, Ethelred, became king of the Mercians. The marriage links between Mercia and Kent having thus dissolved, and Ethelred adopting a much more aggressive and expansionist policy than that of his older brother, Kent became a target for Mercian ambitions. In 676, 
as a means to assert his power, Ethelred launched a massive raid into Kent. Bede tells us that this raid saw the widespread pillaging of churches and monasteries, as well as seeing Rochester burned to the ground. To give a sense of how thoroughly Kent was ravaged, Bede relates that the Bishop of Rochester, Putter, was driven from the sea never to return. The effects of this raid were so long-lasting that even Putter's successor, a man named Quickhelm, resigned from the post not long after taking office due to the lack of resources. The historical fact of Putter's and Quickhelm's resignations suggests that there is some truth to the story of Ethelred's raid, but how much is a matter of debate? Certainly the idea that Ethelred would encourage the large-scale pillaging of churches and monasteries seems difficult to reconcile with the image we find of him in other sources as a devout and pious Christian. Despite the humiliation wrought by Ethelred, Hlothera remained on the throne of Kent. Not only this, he seems to have retained control of the tools of royal government. It is from Hlothera's reign that we get the earliest authentic charters issued by a Kentish king. The first of these I mentioned at the start of this episode, and it's the text which dates the first year of Hlothera's reign. The second text is from 679, and therefore demonstrates that the Mercian raid had not totally derailed the workings of Hlothera's kingdom. Just as a brief aside, although Hlothera is the first Kentish king from whom authentic charters survive, that he issued one in the first year of his reign, which follows the usual pattern of charters in the late 7th century, suggests that he was not the first Kentish king to issue such charters. Rather, the infrastructure must have already existed in 675, even though no instances of earlier Kentish kings using it have survived. Kent under Hlothera, then, seems to have been doing fairly well for itself in the late 670s. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. Hello, everyone. 
My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy what I'm doing here, then it really helps me when you leave a review or a rating on the podcast provider you're using to listen to this. When you subscribe to the show's YouTube channel, and when you become a supporter over on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and transcripts by pledging to one of the show's patron tiers. And speaking of patrons, I want to give a shout-out to Natasha Bieli and Bruce Elwood, who recently became patrons. I also want to correct the pronunciation of a patron name previously shouted out. Thank you to Father Christopher Machelek. I hope I pronounced your name correctly this time. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope that you're enjoying the extra material that you now have access to. Anyway, back to the show. However, this image of prosperity is somewhat illusory. In fact, Hlothera's reign presents a problem to historians of early Kent on account of the unclear relationship that existed between the king and his nephew Eadrich. Specifically, there is ongoing debate as to whether or not Hlothera and Eadrich ruled jointly. We are not told in any of the surviving accounts of Hlothera's reign that he ruled jointly with Eadrich, Even his charters make no reference to Eadrich serving as his co-ruler, although the practice of co-rulership is certainly attested in early Kent. This makes it puzzling, then, that there exists a law code, the rubric of which asserts that it was issued by both Hlothera and Eadrich. The code, which conveniently is usually called the Laws of Hlothera and Eadrich, in most histories, cannot be dated with any more precision than the dates of Hlothera's reign so 675 to 685. It's possible that it was issued by the two kings ruling jointly, but another possibility is that the code was initially drafted by Hlothera and then revised and issued by Eadrich. To understand this, let me briefly explain how the two princes dealt with each other during the reign of Hlothera. In the Charter of 679, Hlothera greets his nephew warmly as Eadrich, son of my brother. This doesn't suggest that there was any tension between the two of them at the time. However, in 685, Eadrich launched a coup against his uncle by aligning himself with Athelwale of Sussex. The South Saxon king gave Eadrich use of an army with which he invaded Kent and defeated Hlothera in battle. Although he survived the battle, and we don't know where this battle occurred, we're not told anywhere where it occurred, Hlothera was wounded and died shortly after from his injuries. At this point, Eadrich assumed sole kingship of Kent, and possibly rewrote and issued the laws of Hlothera and Eadrich. Eadrich, though, would only reign for about a year. In 685, possibly sensing that the South Saxons had been weakened by their support of Eadrich, a Gawisson warlord named Cadwalla launched an invasion of Sussex and deposed Athelwale. 
Shortly thereafter, Cadwalla returned to Gawissa and became king of that kingdom. See the episode on Cadwalla for more on that. Now with the might of the Gawissan army backing him, in 686, Cadwalla invaded Kent, so as to secure his overlordship of England south of the Thames. During this invasion, Eadrich was killed, and Cadwalla opted to fill the now-empty throne with his brother Mull, who would then rule Kent as a puppet king under the Gawissans. This was the first time that Kent would become a puppet to a more powerful neighbour. But I'll say more on that in the next episode. For now, I wanted to circle back and look at the laws of Hlothera and Eadrich, and see what they can tell us about Kentish society in the late 6th century. Perhaps one surprising thing about the laws is how thoroughly secular they are. It makes no rulings on ecclesiastical affairs, instead its main focus is on legal arbitration. One difference between these laws and the earlier law code issued by Ethelbert is that the laws of Hlothera and Eadrich are organised by the type of crime being arbitrated, rather than by social rank. This isn't to say that Kent had become a more egalitarian place during the intervening decades. The laws still refer to the differences between classes and the different value placed on their lives, but it does suggest a change in the way that crimes were being approached by emphasising the crime itself over establishing the rank of the victim. Certainly, it's a small change, but history often tends to advance in baby steps. Besides these changing attitudes to class, the laws quite clearly set out the arbitration process, and this can give us an interesting insight into the way that the Anglo-Saxon legal system functioned. Accusations were made at assemblies in traditional meeting places. The accused then had to take an oath promising to abide by the decision of a judge or to accept a fine of 12 shillings. After three days had elapsed, the accuser and the accused then had to find an arbitrator acceptable to both of them. This arbitrator then made a judgment. Once this had been delivered, the one ruled against had seven days to make good to the other, either with money or with an oath, as the accuser wished. If the accused refused to cooperate, he was then liable to a fine of a hundred shillings, equivalent to the guild of a freeman, and was forbidden from swearing an oath of innocence in the future. The oath was an integral part of the Anglo-Saxon legal system. Often sworn on relics, an oath was held to be supported by divine justice, and thus violating an oath or swearing one falsely was a serious crime. Oath-swearing would not only fall on the parties in an arbitration, it was also necessary to act as a witness for any legal transaction or to defend the innocence of another person who was accused. Thus, one who was forbidden from swearing an oath not only became unable to protest their innocence in the future, but they also could not help their kin and friends if they came into trouble. Thus, it was not a punishment to be taken lightly. The laws of Hlothera and Eadrich make it clear that Kent at this time had a developed traditional legal system that the kings were seeking to regulate. The spectre of blood feud is not as present in these laws as it was in Athelbert's, suggesting that those earlier laws had gone some way in discouraging the practice. In its place, a system of guild and arbitration had come to predominate, and seemingly this was now the de facto functioning of the legal system throughout Kent. In the realm of kings and royal politics, though, arbitration was often not possible 
as Hlothera and Eadrich both discovered when they met their ends on bloody battlefields. Not only did this deprive them of the throne and destabilise the dominance of the heirs of Eorkenbert, but it also saw Kent's independence undone, albeit only for a time, by the rapine of power-hungry warlords. This, sadly, would become a common feature of Kentish history from this point on. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. As always, I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.